1: Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations, book recommendation episodes, and insider information on all of the newest releases that I have read and endorse, and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations, or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. In 2023, I am adding a new segment to my Tuesday episodes called read a Requests. Listeners can submit a book they loved and tell me why they loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads. There is a Google form included in today's show notes. I would love for you to send in a request. If you love to read, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group. To access additional content, including bonus episodes, and early reads and prepub author chats. For February, Lauren Willig's new book is one of my selections, as well as A Likely Story, a debut by Lee Abramson. The link to join that is in the show notes as well. Today, I am chatting with Sarah Rosette about her high-society lady detective series, indie publishing, and her podcasts. Sarah is the USA Today bestselling author of 30 cozy and historical mysteries for readers who enjoy atmospheric settings and puzzling whodunits. She also hosts two podcasts, Mystery Books Podcast for Readers and The Wish I'd Known Then for Writer's Podcast with Jamie Albright. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for my new segment called Read-A-Like Requests. In 2023, I am adding a new segment to my podcast where listeners can submit a book they loved and let me know why they loved it, and I will suggest several similar books for them to read. While every book is unique and stands on its own, certain elements of books we love really stick with us, and that is what I want to tap into, the aspects of the book that appealed to the requester, and to focus on finding those elements in other books. The first request that I'm going to tackle is from Adrian, and she selected Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. It's an epistolary novel set in the 1960s about two women in different stages of life who develop an unexpected friendship. I thought this was the perfect book to launch this segment with because it is one of my favorite books of 2022. Adrian liked the book because she loves epistolary novels. And what she also really liked was that it was fiction centered around food and a strong female friendship. I, too, am a huge fan of epistolary novels and had fun revisiting some of my favorites while deciding what to recommend to Adrian. My first recommendation is actually going to be two books by the same author, The Chilberry Ladies' Choir and The Kitchen Front by Jennifer Ryan, both of which are set during World War II. The Chilbury Ladies' Choir is one of my favorite epistolary novels, and it centers around the women in Chilbury who rebel against the local vicar's wish to disband the church choir while the men are away fighting. These women band together and end up having a profound effect on the town. The second is The Kitchen Front, which is not written in letters, but does focus on both strong female bonds and food, so I am including it as well. Four women compete to earn a spot on a BBC cooking show, but discover the power of friendship along the way. There is definitely a heavy focus on food in The Kitchen Front. The next book I am recommending as a read-alike to Love and Saffron is Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. Two of the elements that Adrian liked in Love and Saffron feature prominently in Meet Me at the Museum. It is an epistolary novel, and it focuses on an unexpected friendship, this time between a man and a woman, but it is such a beautiful book, and as I was reading Love and Saffron, it frequently made me think of Meet Me at the Museum. Meet Me at the Museum is told through letters between Tina Hopgood, a farmer's wife in England, and Anders Larsen, the curator at a Danish museum. As they continue to write back and forth, their lives, loves, and losses are unveiled to each other and the reader, and the pair develop such a sweet bond, much like the relationship between Joan and Imogen and Love and Saffron. The last book I want to recommend is The Lido by Libby Page. Now, this recommendation may seem like it's a little bit out of left field, but based on Adrian's interest in a strong female friendship, I am recommending The Lido. When the book came out in paperback, the publisher renamed it Mornings with Rosemary because Americans do not use the term Lido, which means an outdoor pool and rec center, so it may be easier to find it under that title. The Lido tells the tale of Kate, a lonely 26-year-old suffering from anxiety, and Rosemary, an 86-year-old widow who swims daily at her local Lido, and the Lido is being targeted by a development company who wants to buy the land to build another expensive apartment complex. Kate works at a local paper and is assigned to write a story about the closing of the Lido. As she begins to work on the story, she meets Rosemary, and the two form a life-changing friendship that benefits and transforms both women. It is such a heartwarming and touching story. I cannot end a conversation about epistolary novels without mentioning the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. It is a must-read for anyone who loves epistolary novels. Thanks, Adrienne, for helping me kick off this segment. And I hope you enjoy these recommendations. And now on to my conversation with Sarah Rosette. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. And I am so glad you are here to talk about so many different things. But first, your High Society Lady Detective series, and then a lot of the other things that you do in the book space.
0: All right. Sounds great.
1: Why don't we start out by talking about the High Society Lady Detective series? Just tell me all about the series. How you got started? How you came up with the idea for it? Just the whole shebang. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I was reading. I've always loved mysteries, and for the longest time, I just read Cozy's, just contemporary mystery fiction. And then I got into the Golden Age detectives. I started reading Agatha Christie and Patricia Wentworth, and I just loved it. I especially loved the tone, the banter, the lightness of it. I read the um, first Tommy and Tuppence mystery, The Secret Adversary, and it. It has all these thriller elements that I wasn't as into, but I just loved the relationship between the two characters and the way they're kind of fun, light, witty banter, you know, between them. I was just so in for that. So that sent me down this rabbit hole of reading all these books from the 1920s. And I just loved them. And I thought, you know, I would love to do this. I would love to write a book that would read like this, like it was from the twenties. And um, so I just kind of I had some different ideas and I started thinking about what I could write. And um, I was writing a contemporary cozy series that was set in a small English village. And one day I thought, you know, I could just take that village and kind of that setting and move it back to the 1920s. And that was just like a, a light bulb moment for me. Cause I was like, Oh, I wonder what Nether Woodsmore would have been like in the 1920s. And then from there, you know, I had to create a whole new cast of characters but I already had this kind of the, the bones of the setting. And then I knew kind of the tone that I wanted the series to have. So after that, it was just like creating the characters. And, and a lot of that was just sort of, I would take the characters that I'd read about and kind of think, okay, who else could be part of these fun, lighthearted stories? So, yeah. So I came up with this character named Olive who she comes from that little village, but the times are hard. And she doesn't want to just get married because the choices in her little village are not quite what she's hoping to do for the rest of her life, to be married to one of the men there. So she goes to London and she gets involved in a mystery. And, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And, um, yeah, it's been a really fun ride. I'm really enjoying writing the series and just delving into the time period and just learning about the 20s and the different things that were going on then and the different people that lived then. I just try and work it all in.
1: Did you find it really different writing historical series versus a contemporary series?
0: Well, I think the historical series, I'm always worried about the details. And so I'm always researching the details. It's such a rich time and there was so much going on, so many changes that it made it easy for me to think, oh, I'd find some little detail and I think, oh, this book is going to revol- revolve around this this setting or this little aspect of life during that time. And so it's it's a little challenging for the research, but the possibilities, I love the possibilities. So it's a great place to be writing, I think. It's such a fun time period. Yes, it is. I love it.
1: And there are seven books currently in the series. Murder at the Mansions came out last January, and that's the most recent, correct?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Okay, good. And I'm assuming you're going to be working on book eight at some point.
0: Yes, I've started it now and, uh, Olive is going to do a little international travel. Most of the books have taken place like either in London or in a English country home. And so in this one, she, she goes and visits some places overseas. So I'm, I'm having a good time. It's like a new area to explore and research because travel was a big part of high society life then. So it's a, it's, it's a great topic to delve into.
1: Good. Well, I look forward to that
0: one. Oh,
1: great. So you are an indie author. Can you tell me how you decided to go that route and how it works for you step-by-step?
0: Well, I was traditionally published first with my first Cozy series, and that was back before self-publishing or being an indie author was really all that possible. And um, I started hearing about people publishing their own books, and I was like, that's really interesting. And so I looked into it, and I self-published a couple of short stories, and I started earning money from it. And I was like, this is really interesting. So eventually I've transitioned for a while. I was a hybrid author and I wrote for my traditional publisher. And then I brought out my books myself as an indie author. And now I've transitioned to where i just basically am an indie author. I just write my books and release them myself through, you know, the bookstores. I can bring out the audiobooks. I can bring out print books. Indie publishing has evolved to the point where you can pretty much do everything that you could do, that your publisher would do for you. You can pretty much do it all yourself. The process is pretty much the same as when I was traditionally published, but I just take on the, like I hire a copy editor, I hire a proofreader, sometimes two proofreaders because historical readers are very, very into the details and I want to make sure I don't mess anything up and that I don't have any, as few typos as possible. And then I'll hire a uh, narrator to uh, narrate it. And then it's, you know, releasing it and promoting it. And when I was traditionally published, I did, Just as much work promoting the books as I do now. So I don't feel like I've given up a lot to be indie published. I feel like I have more freedom. I can write what I want. I can market it like I would like. So I I really enjoy the creative freedom of it. And you have a huge following. Well, I I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. So (laughs) that may be part of it. It's just kind of sticking around and doing the same kind of lighthearted mystery books that, you know that probably contributes to that. But yeah, I do have quite a few readers who are interested in my books and and I love it. It's great to know that there are people interested in the books and waiting for them. That's a, a, a big motivator.
1: And how does the cover work for you? I love the cover on this series and I was so curious how it came about.
0: When I do a cover, originally, I would have like a single idea in mind or I'd be like, oh, it needs to have this scene. But now I've realized as I've gone through this process of learning kind of how all this works is that it's more the feel and the tone that you want to convey, not necessarily specifically a scene in the book or something very detailed. So what I did for this series is I took a bunch of like travel posters from the 1920s and 30s and I created like a mood board and I sent it to my cover artist and I was like, okay, this is kind of what I'm going for. And this is the feel I want. And this is a general description of, you know, what the character looks like. And then I just kind of let them do their thing. I don't. I just kind of stay out of it because I feel like they're the expert, and I have so little design background or knowledge that I feel like it's better if I just let them do, you know, their let them handle that. And then they'll send back, you know, a couple of versions, and we may tweak it a little bit. But and a lot of times they'll say, okay, like if it's a new series, they'll say, do you like this font? Do you like this color palette? But mostly, I just kind of let them run with it. And um, I I love them, too. I think they're, I'm so pleased with the way they've turned out because they really convey kind of that time period and the feel of the books. I think they do a real good job of that.
1: I agree completely. And they're also just really fun. I enjoy looking at them. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a nice feeling, you know? I mean, that's one of those things. I think you get a sense from looking at a cover and you want that to be a sense that people want to pick up the book. And I think with yours, they do.
0: Oh well, that's great to hear. I'm glad.
1: What surprised you the most when writing this series?
0: Um, probably just I mean, there's so many things that you feel like writing a historical. You know, you've got to be so super detailed, and I don't want to get anything wrong. Like I don't want to have them taking a train that didn't exist until like 40 years in the future or something like that. But that's not what the readers are interested in. The readers are very interested in the characters. And I just have to keep that in mind. So I think that's been surprising to me that they like the historical elements, but that's not the only reason they're reading the books. They're I think they're reading first for the characters and their actions among the characters. And then they want a good mystery. And then they do want all the historical elements, you know, pretty much correct. You know, they'll let me fudge things a little bit for the sake of the plot sometimes. Yeah, but that I think the factor that they're more interested in the characters than the actual historical elements sometimes has been a little surprising to me.
1: That is interesting. I'm sure you do get feedback from readers, and I know historical authors say this all the time. They're getting letters from people saying, oh, this wasn't exactly like it should be and things like that. And that's good to realize that those don't really matter, and you can just kind of keep plugging along, trying to get it as right as you can.
0: Yeah, because it's impossible to have a book that's 100% perfect. I mean, you're probably going to have a typo sneak in there no matter how hard you try. And I feel like if I get too wrapped up in the details, then I can't get the book down. Like I've got to press on and at least get the book finished and then go back and make it as good as I can. But if I get wrapped up in, oh, you know, did this hotel exist in 1923, you know, and would she have walked past it on her way to, you know, get a coffee? You know, it's just some of those details I get too wrapped up in. They really don't matter for the big story as a whole.
1: And probably pull you out of the writing process.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Although sometimes I'll find interesting details. I'll go down these rabbit holes trying to find out, you know, like strange things like did cars have windshield wipers in the 1920s or did that come later? And then I'll find out something totally different. I'll be like, oh, this is so interesting. And it becomes like a plot point or a red herring. It's just, you just never know where it's going to go.
1: Which has to make the historical aspects really entertaining.
0: Yes. So much fun. I've learned so much about just things that have become part of the books. There's some things that I don't want to say because they're spoilers if anyone is interested in reading the books and haven't read them. But I've learned things about like, especially like World War I and the after effects of World War One. I. I didn't realize that like plastic surgery had its roots beginning in World War I. And the, when the soldiers came back, they were trying to create reconstructions for their faces. And They had all kinds of like masks that they created, and then they did some physical surgeries to reconstruct their faces, things like that, that I just never knew. And, you know, that's been worked into a couple of the books.
1: I was amazed when I first learned that originally they use metal for some of those masks, and it's sort of hard to imagine.
0: It is. And then if you go online, you can actually find some pictures of them, and they're very lifelike. I mean, obviously, if you looked, you would be able to tell, but at a glance, they were very well done. It was a uh, a way that allowed people to go out and do things in public without feeling so self-conscious, I think.
1: Absolutely. And it's one of those things that, as you mentioned, you think of plastic surgery as being something much more new mm-hmm. and not something that's been around for over a hundred years. And so it was fascinating to learn that in your books, that that was one of the things that they actually really worked on from World War I on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned so many different things like about, makeup and travel and, you know, just uh, photography, you know, just different things that I've tried to kind of layer into the books that are interesting details. The most recent one, I have a character who's a female uh, cartoonist. She draws kind of a, what we would call a cartoon, maybe a political, more like a political cartoon for the newspapers of the day. And I did some research and there were a ton of female cartoonists that worked during that time period. And some of them we've heard of, but most of them we haven't. But it was because it was very acceptable for a woman to be an artist. So maybe it would be a little bit easier to be a cartoonist rather than a reporter, because that would be a little more frowned on. But, I mean, there's just so many aspects of life back then that I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. That has to go in a book. That's
1: what I like so much about historical fiction and about historical mysteries, is that I feel like I learn something really cool like that every time I read one of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Me too. And that's one reason I love mysteries. I like the closed circle mysteries where you kind of delve into this little world, and you usually learn something about the world. And then I love the historicals because you're learning about a historical time period as well. That's one of my favorite things about mysteries and historical mysteries especially.
1: I agree. And I'm a huge mystery fan, so I'm the same way. It's really fun to read a mystery. I do enjoy the closed circle as well as just regular ones. I just really like them to be well plotted. Mm -hmm. And so I think as long as you've got that, which yours do, then they're so engaging.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I I agree. I, I have to have the good plot. And then I want that little extra something about the world or the characters or the time period.
1: I agree. Well, you recently did a Kickstarter campaign for a special edition in your series. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes, that was, it was so interesting and so fun. I've never done one of those before, but I decided to do a special edition for the first book in the historical series. It was um, Murder at Marchley Manor, and um I had a new cover made and I included a bunch of special extra things in the Kickstarter. And so I didn't know a lot about it, but as I I'm, I'm learning as I'm doing it. But um the way the the Kickstarter ended was that For some of the special stretch goals, I did more color in the book. So the final book has just been printed. I'm getting ready to send it out. And it will have color chapter headings. It'll have a color map inside. And then the people who back the campaign, there's all kinds of extra special things that they got, like downloads and digital downloads of books and reading journals and things like that. So it's been a fun learning experience. I've learned a lot and I feel like it's a way to connect with my readers that I didn't have before. You know, I I know that not everyone could back the Kickstarter and not everyone was interested in it, but for those readers who were, it's given me a way to give them an extra special book. And I'm really, really excited to have discovered this way of connecting with them.
1: And it's a limited event. So you have this book, you can do the campaign for it. When the book is done, the campaign is done, you've given them everything you needed to for their support. And then Mm -hmm. if you want to start another one, you can, if not, then it's all wrapped up.
0: Yes, yes. And that that is, it's a very intense, like I did mine for about two and a half weeks. It's an intense two weeks. And then it's time for a break, (laughs) which I was ready for.
1: I didn't realize it had been that limited of a window. I get your newsletters, which I love because you have a lot of good recommendations in addition to information about your books. So, I was receiving the emails about the Kickstarter campaign, but I didn't realize it was that brief, which probably didn't seem brief to you at all. But
0: <laughs> no, it was, um, it seemed like it went on for a while for me. But <laughs> I did enjoy like the aspects of like connecting with people and seeing how excited they were about these different things that we were doing. It was something that I hadn't experienced before. Cause usually when I release a book, I just release it on the retailers and people email me and say, Oh, I loved it. When is the next one? You know, that's usually the, extended the communication, but this was much more um, community-based. It was like, oh, we really love this. I did a survey. I was like, what do you want to see for stretch goals? And so it was really fun to get that interaction. But yes, I was just exhausted when it was done.
1: You're <laughs> like two and a half weeks seems like a very long time.
0: <laughs> it does. It does for me, yeah.
1: And you teach online courses as well, one about writing a cozy mystery series and one about a mystery series. Is that correct?
0: Well, I have a, it's sort of a self-paced um how to outline a cozy mystery because I took like everything that I wished I had known about writing a cozy and put it into a course and that's available. Anybody can take it and just kind of go through it themselves. It's kind of, it's self-paced basically. It's your, you know, I don't check homework or anything like that, but it's kind of giving them kind of an insight into what they, what they'll need to know to work on a cozy and like. Cozy's have all kinds of special situations, like how do you get your, your sleuth involved in an investigation and kind of like you have to figure a lot of these things out. So it kind of walks you through those things. And then I have a book on how to write a series. So the course has a workbook. The Cozy course has a workbook. And then the how to write a series book is just a book. It's not a course.
1: Okay, got it. I knew you had both, but I wasn't exactly sure what the format was.
0: Yeah. In addition
1: to that, you are a host on two podcasts, correct? The Mystery Books podcast and then Wish I'd Known Then, which I was a guest on. Yes,
0: yes. I have been bitten by the podcast bug.
1: (laughs) I get that, totally. And I really enjoy your mystery podcast. The other one's really geared more toward writing, so I don't really listen to that very often just because I'm not writing anything. But I really like the mystery book one. Can you talk about both of them?
0: Sure, yeah. The Wish I'd Known Then for writers is I co-host that with Jamie Albright and we talk to writers kind of about what they wish they'd known when they got started and you know how they've been successful and what they've learned from their mistakes. So that's a fun uh, we just interview authors and you know kind of go through their careers and you know kind of try and learn from them. And then um the Mystery Books podcast, the one that one I don't interview authors on there. I just talk about basically what I've been reading, my favorite books, and I kind of give a little recap of the book and I talk about, you know, Tropes that are in it because I feel like a lot of readers they want to know, well, is this a locked room mystery? You know, is this, you know, set on a train, kind of like the highlights of the book, but not giving away any clues or red herrings or whodunits, you know? And then I say, you know, like if you liked this book, you'd probably like, and I try and list out, you know, a couple of other similar books. That one's, um, I do it like in a series, like I'll do a season and then I'll take a break and then do a season because podcasts are time consuming. And if I did that one, I would probably never get any books written. So gonna <laughs> kind of have to dole that one out in between my books.
1: And Wish i had Known Then for Writers comes out regularly, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. It's, we do it, we try and do it every week. We've had kind of a little break early this year in the fall, you know, in fall of 2022, but we're back at it now every week.
1: And on your mystery books podcast, how do you decide what you're going to talk about? Obviously things you've read and liked, but do you have things you're looking for? Do you want to talk about similar mysteries? Do you want to find something totally different? What's that whole process like for you?
0: Well, sometimes I want to talk about a popular book because everybody's talking about it. You know, that was one reason I talked about the Thursday murder club because I was like, let's kind of dig into this book and what makes it so interesting to so many people. And then other times I want to, I'll read a book. And nobody's talking about it, or I can't find anybody shouting about it, you know, online. So I kind of want to bring some of the books that are not as well known to the forefront. Sometimes I do classic books. I've like I have an episode about the the unpleasantness at the Bologna Club by Dorothy L. Sayers this most recent season. Just books that it's kind of a mixture. Like sometimes it's books people are talking about, sometimes it's books that I feel like have kind of been overlooked. And then I like to throw in a classic book every once in a while, too, because, you know, that's so much of what I read. I love to read the books from the 20s and 30s. So every once in a while, I want to throw in one of those and hopefully get some more people reading Golden Age books.
1: And I think there's a lot of interest in Golden Age books. And sometimes people don't know where to start. I know when Uh I worked at Murder by the Book, which is when you and I met originally, there was a ton of interest in that. And there's that whole series that they put out where they're constantly republishing a lot of the older golden age books, and they've got these great intros explaining kind of where the book fits into the whole genre, and how popular it was when it first came out and who the writer was friends with. I loved all those details. And those were always super popular.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a real interest, like a resurgence of interest in that, because mysteries are popular now. And there's like, I've read so many cozies, I kind of know where most stories are going. So I'm like, let me read something a little bit different now. I'll read a cozy, and I'm like, let's change to do something different. And the Golden Age books are, they're just different from the books that come out now, but they're still very readable. Most of them, there are a couple I've run across that I'm like, oh my goodness, this was, a, was a, some hard going here <laughs> to get into this story. <laughs> right. But most of them are very readable, even though they're, over, some of them, you know, are over 100 years old. And I just think it's interesting. I love, you know, teasing out what's the same and what's different between the two time periods. I love seeing, you know, that some people had phones in 1920s, but not everybody. And it was much more difficult to make a phone call and, you know, things like that. I have to work into my writing that I just didn't even think about when I first started. I was like, oh yeah, she's not going to have Google apps on you know Google Maps on her phone she's going to have to go find an atlas to do this you know so it's just interesting to see the contrast in you know the golden age books and today
1: and i'm always fascinated by this party line concept and my parents even talked about that when they were young so in the 40s that you know you'd pick up the phone and you could hear all sorts of other conversations you had to wait till they were done and then you know you could the operator would put in your call and you would take up part of the party line and mm-hmm. nothing would be private because everybody could hear you
0: Yes, and you didn't want to talk about anything that you didn't want everyone to hear. Yes, it, it is a strange concept for us today <laughs> to even think about.
1: It really is. So I just always find that fascinating. It's one of those things that if I could time travel and go back in time, I would want to see how it worked.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think it would be, in a way, it's almost comparable to our social media now. Like we put something out and everybody can read it. it that would be like the party line in the you know early 20th century.
1: <laughs> that's a great analogy and also just that somebody would dial the phone for you. You know, you'd pick it up and you'd say mm-hmm. my parents would say they had like three letters first and then three numbers and you know now we have mm-hmm. these phone numbers that you just dial yourself. So it's all kind of so fascinating to see how it worked then and and how far we've come.
0: Yes, very true.
1: Well, you must stay so busy because you really do a variety of things.
0: I do, and I think part of it is I feel like I've kind of I love writing the the 1920s series. And I feel like I can just camp out there for a long time and write lots of books in that series. And I feel like that's kind of given me some space to do some other things that I think would be interesting. So yeah, I'm enjoying writing books and also podcasting and trying the Kickstarter and just doing some different things.
1: Well, and they all overlap. And that's what I find Mm -hmm. kind of about what I do is that it's all really interwoven together, you know it's not mm-hmm. like each thing is totally separate. I'm usually talking about a book I loved or talking with an author about a, a book they wrote that I loved, or I'm recommending it, or that all can go into my book column. So I do think it's not like they're all completely separate.
0: Yes, I agree, yeah, and yeah, lots of overlap is good.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It makes it a lot easier
0: <laughs> well, let's
1: get to the part I always enjoy so much. your recommended reads,
0: okay, yeah, one of these isn't will be out later um i I'm not sure. I think the release date was in January, but it may have been, it may be pushed further into the future. So we'll have to double check the dates on this one. But um I recently read Unnatural Ends by Christopher Wong. I believe is how you say it. The last name is spelled H-U-A-N-G. And this one, it's a modern book, modern author, but it really has that Agatha Christie golden age feel to it. And I just loved it. It was so good. It was one of the ones that I just I just read it all just as quickly as I could. So that one is like at the top of my list for my favorite new book so far this year, even though as we're recording this, it's in 2022. I think it's coming out in 2023.
1: (laughs) Well, it'll be closer in time by the time this episode airs. I'm not familiar with that one. So now I'm going to have to look it up. What's the title of it again?
0: Okay. It's called Unnatural Ends. And his name is Christopher Wong. And he also wrote a Gentleman's Murder.
1: Okay. I was going to ask you that. I was like, I think that's the name of the guy that wrote A Gentleman's Murder. Yes. Is this a follow-up to that, or it's not because it's present day? It's a new book?
0: No, it's it's um, historical. It's a historical setting, okay. but it's it's not the same characters. It's a totally new group of characters, but he is a contemporary author. Got it. When I read A Gentleman's Murder, I was like, is this a Golden Age book, or is this a modern book? You know, like, is it by a modern author? So he's really got the... He's able to create that atmosphere and feeling of the 1920s or 30s, I guess.
1: I was thinking about that book the other day because we sold so many of it at Murder by the Book and got all these requests of whether it was going to be a series and when the mm-hmm. next one would be out. And then nothing ever came out again. And I wondered what was happening with him. So I'm glad he has a new book coming out.
0: Yes, I was thrilled to see it because I I enjoyed A Gentleman's Murder as well. Yeah. Good. I, I know that World War II fiction is super popular And um, I have a series that I really enjoy. It's the Crown Colony series by Ovidia Yu, and her last name is spelled Y-U. And um, recently I read The Mimosa Tree Mystery. And so they're set in Singapore, so it's a different look at World War II. It's more, it's just like if you're used to reading World War II books that are set in France or England, this is a completely different look at World War II. So anyway, um, I just really enjoy it. And it's uh, about a young woman who is living in Singapore and she becomes involved in the British police force. She goes to work for them. And then, of course, Singapore is taken over. And so it just follows the whole thing through. And like right now we're at there. Singapore is occupied by the Japanese and she's having to navigate all that. But each book is a mystery. So it's very interesting. It's just a totally different look at life and at World War Two.
1: I have been so glad that more and more books set during World War II that are in the Pacific arena are coming out, mm-hmm. because I just knew so little about what happened with the war there other than Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be able to fill in with some of these stories. So I'm going to have to check that one out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy the series. It's The character is very, she has a very strong voice and she's got little snarky comments, but she it's a very respectful community. So a lot of these things she doesn't say, but she- thinks them. <laughs> you get to hear her inner dialogue. Which is always fun. Yeah. And then um, for like a modern setting, cozy type, well, I don't know. It's not actually super cozy. It's more of a just a traditional mystery, I guess you'd say. I read Augusta Hawk by G.M. Malliot. It's set in D.C. It's about a woman who is a writer. And I always love those books that are like book related, like a bookstore or an author. So this woman is a very successful author. And she sees something happen outside her back window. She lives like in this community. It kind of gave me a rear window feeling, if you know that movie, where the guy's looking out his window and it's all about what's going on and what he can see of his neighbors.
1: Yeah, Jimmy Stewart.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's got that kind of feel to it. And um, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of a it's a contemporary, I would say, mystery, traditional mystery.
1: I'm very familiar with G.M. Malliott's books that are set in the UK about the vicar but I didn't know that she wrote other books. That's really interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. Those were
0: huge sellers at Murder by the Book. Yes, I think this is a new one. It came out pretty recently. Oh, good.
1: I'm going to have to track that down because that is another series that we sold a ton of at Murder (laughs) by the Book. And so I haven't ever read any of them. Okay, good. I'm going to look for that.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty new. Just maybe a couple months old.
1: Okay, good.
0: Um, I just have one other one. And this one is, I would say it's a mystery thriller. It's called Her Dying Day by mindy carlson this is uh it's definitely not cozy so if you only want cozy reads give this one a pass but it's uh got some thriller thriller elements to it it's about a woman who is doing a graduate degree and she is a filmmaker and so she's going to make this film about a woman who disappeared years before so it's a cold case and she starts looking into it and of course gets involved in this mystery and wants to solve the mystery. And then she's got all these personal issues going on. So it's it was one of those that I just couldn't put down.
1: I love books like that, where you literally are like, everyone, leave me alone. Yes. I need to keep turning the pages <laughs> and figuring out what happened here.
0: <laughs> That's right. Because it's important to get to the end to figure this all out. Yes.
1: Exactly. And then I'm so bummed when it's over because I'm like, I <laughs> really loved that book. <laughs> I know. But you want to get to the end and know what happened. So yes. well, these are all great recommendations. And I don't know that I was familiar with any of them. So that's wonderful. I love that.
0: Yeah, good. I'm glad to give you something new because I know you know your knowledge of the mystery and book world is wide. (laughs) So,
1: Well, I always say that I thought I read a lot till I started working at Murder by the Book, and I just had no concept how many books come out every single week and how crazy it is. And I think that was the thing that surprised me the most about working at the store was just the sheer volume of titles coming out week after week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, gosh, you know, you could read your entire lifetime and never make it through all of them.
0: And to think that we have all these wonderful new books, and then there's so many books, classic books that I haven't read that I want to go back and read. It's, it gets a little overwhelming at times.
1: <laughs> it does. And, you know, I think there's been a big renewed interest in Agatha Christie and her books. And I've seen a variety of people asking where they should start and which was mm-hmm. her best one. And so it's interesting to see how these things kind of cycle back over and over again.
0: Yes, I think that's so true. There's so many. I mean, if you just look at the movies like Knives Out and The Glass Onion and then the um, one about the mousetrap, I can't think of the name of it, that it was had a smaller release. But, yeah, there's like more interest, I think, in just mysteries and anything to do with Agatha Christie is always going to draw interest, I think. Yeah.
1: I think that's exactly right, and there was a great group of short stories that came out about Miss Marple this fall, and I think that probably contributed a little bit too, but it's Marple, 12 New Stories, Mm -hmm. and I interviewed one of the authors about another book that she had coming out, but we talked briefly about this anthology, and she said that the Agatha Christie estate commissioned the book, and then I guess had some say in which authors were participating, but they said Miss Marple had to be older, she couldn't be young, (laughs) she couldn't fall in love, and she couldn't meet Poirot. Which I thought was really interesting.
0: I think that's perfect because it keeps her like the readers want her to be, you know? it's Exactly. I I don't know that I want Miss Marple, a new version of Miss Marple.
1: (laughs) I think that's exactly right. But I just thought it was really fascinating to me to hear the criteria that they gave. And I think you're exactly right. They want it to fill a need around the story she already has and to kind of weave in with them. But it was just kind of interesting to hear that. Yes.
0: I agree. Yeah, I haven't read that yet, but it's definitely on my list.
1: It's so good. Well, Sarah, thank you, as always, for chatting with me. I'm so glad you came on the Thoughts from a Page podcast, and I can't wait for those that aren't familiar with the High Society Lady Detective series and all of the other things you do to check them out.
0: Oh, well, thank you for having me, and thank you for all that you do for authors and just to get the word out about great books. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hi there. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one
2: therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about.
0: I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.
1: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at thoughtsfromapage Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.